Hello, good day, and welcome to Party in China. Series 2, episode 15. I'm Party Parslow, and this is our 40th podcast. And when you get to 40, you tend to pause, look back, remember all the funny things that happened that you forgot to put in the podcast because you're an idiot. Oh, well, never mind. I'll just add them to the audiobook version. Naturally, I missed Juanita, Trevor, John, Perry, and the other friends from the past year, including Jean, the lovely German. But unlike the others, who I'd been with only a month before this, Jean was long gone. I had no one to call me her cuddly koala or her big Australian bear anymore. She transferred to Guangzhou, where some students actually wanted to sprechen sie Deutsch. In an email, she told me that she liked it there much better, and that her new American best friend was so similar they could be twins. My mind boggled. I too was similar to Jean, in that I thought I too would like living in my new city more than what she called the deadly Diang dullness. Not only were my few fellow Aston teachers much friendlier than the hundreds at DFLS, the general Ganyu population seemed nicer too. I saw more smiling, less spitting and crapping in the streets. Well, relatively less, there was still quite a lot of the former. And the first time I went to a local supermarket, a toddler dropped a terrific turd right in front of the glass sliding doors loudly encouraged by his grandma, who was clapping, cavorting, and preventing anybody getting in or out of the place while her progeny pooped. <laughs> that was at the normal supermarket where the locals shopped every day and which I visited when I was feeling adventurous or lucky or bored, as that supermarket was next door to the Ganyu KFC. Don't worry, this isn't a paid product placement for Kentucky Fried Chicken. If I wanted fried chicken, I ate at the Chinese chain across the road. Dickos. See, I couldn't eat at KFC because I couldn't stop laughing at the village idiot. Now, that sounds bad, so let me explain. You may recall that I have earlier described myself as going from one of the smartest guys in any room to the village idiot in a city of five million. But I was actually more of a semi-functioning illiterate, not the full-on weird-looking Ryan's daughter style drooling and gibbering cretin. But that was exactly the sort of fella who hung around the KFC. I think his mum worked in the supermarket because the people in there were all very nice to him whereas the KFC staffers reacted badly to his presence. Their customers desperately tried to pretend he didn't exist at all, while wishing they hadn't chosen a seat by the window. He would press his malformed face against the plate glass at the level of their table, stare at them selecting each morsel. Then his face would rise and fall in a short, shallow arc mirroring each movement of their hands as they ate and leaving drool and snot smears on the glass. Crying out in triumph 
as each piece disappeared into each mouth. That may have been why he was so unpopular with the KFC staff. The windows had to be washed after his every visit. The first time I saw this performance, I was waiting at the traffic lights on the Ganyu Flash. KFC was on the corner of two main roads. So through the window on my side, I had the point of view of a customer inside. And I laughed so hard, I fell off the bike. He actually came and sat next to me in the gutter, grinning gap-toothedly and sort of half-heartedly guffawing along, <laughs> as if he was trying out laughing to see if he liked it. That, of course, did nothing to help me quell the spasms of laughter or tears of joy, both more symptoms of my worsening madness. After that incident, we were friends, though, and whenever he saw me striding along after that, he'd hurry alongside, laughing madly and waiting for me to join him. I felt bad when I didn't laugh along with him, so chose to avoid him altogether by eating at Dicko's. He never went there because he wasn't allowed to cross the street alone. Avoiding awkward social interaction with the village idiot was not the only reason I generally frequented another supermarket, a larger, cleaner store closer to my apartment, part of a chain called Su Guo, which is much more upmarket with a section of international foods, that was a minor reason, and delicious apostle beer, that's the major reason, which I found on my very first day and bought up big. By my very fifth day, I'd emptied the shelves, however, and you could never tell when it would be back. Once more, when the backroom boys found that the German ale was suddenly selling well, they almost doubled the price. Bloody bean counters. Well, beer counters, I suppose, in this case. Suguo was on the top two floors of what passes for a very snazzy arcade in China. With their society evolving so quickly, the burgeoning middle class needs places to spend their money, and they want places that look like the high-class shops they see on TV, in movies, and online. To me, that's what these arcades feel like. Movie sets. Something unreal and nothing organic about them. They have no history or reason to exist, other than commerce, obviously. Perhaps they're more like amusement parks, as ordinary citizens, presumably those on the verge of being able to afford such delights, stroll slowly around, gaping at the surrounding wonders as if they're at Disneyland, enjoying the travelators like they're on a ride, laughing with each other and waving at people going the other way. As in Diang Walmart, Suguo suffered from a bottleneck at the end of the ride with some family members still working out how to step off safely, others trying to coach and coax grandma into stepping off safely, and the kids fighting their parents' grip so they can escape and go have another turn. It probably sounds amusing, but all such behaviour is an irritating obstacle to a man who's just popping in to see if they've restocked the European beers and how much the price has shot up. Another regular obstacle is caused by the fact that Chinese families are like water. I don't mean essential to existence or just about everywhere on the planet, although I'm sure both those things are true. 
I mean that they expand to fill any available space. Turning into a supermarket aisle to check the dairy fridge for proper cheese or the drink section for acceptable ales, I would be inevitably blocked by five or six family members. One would be looking at something on the right-hand shelves, holding hands with a child who had a death grip on the shopping trolley, which was also being held by another adult who was scrutinising the offerings on the left-hand shelves while holding the hand of another child who was climbing the displays while Grandma ineffectually tugged on his or her foot trying to get him down. Completely impassable. They wouldn't even admit that I wanted to get past them unless I approached at ramming speed, going, Ahooga! 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 Then a pathway would suddenly form, but often not quite wide enough. So I'd hip bump the shopping trolley and it would start rolling away, still with a child clinging to the side, until one of the parents could grab it again and they could reform the barricade. We'd sometimes bring Aston students to Suguo for school excursions and spend an hour or two with me naming and describing products in English. Although I'd end up speaking mainly to the other teachers as the kids had little interest in English terms like washer, dryer, modem or jaffle maker. Not that jaffle makers were available, but I was searching for one. For non-Antipodean listeners, a jaffle is a toasted sandwich served in two triangles with the edges cut and sealed by the cooking device. Now that I had no school canteen to feed me, I was forced to find my own ways to fill my belly. And I do love a jaffle. But Suguo had not a jaffle maker, nary a toaster. No way at all to make the local overly sweet bread more palatable. The Chinese, of course, had no conception of the mighty jaffle at all, but after that lesson in the appliance section, when I described what I was looking for, lovely Ronna searched online and bought me one for 10 bucks, improving my life immensely. She really did take great care of me. In fact, I asked Ronna to buy me an <coughs> horn online so I could attach it to the Ganyu Flash, preferably one that detached from the handlebars so I could use it in supermarket aisles and other awkward situations. <coughs> but she could find nothing suitable. Or, that's what she told me, she just decided not to abet my insanity any further. Suguo had a large skincare and makeup section with hundreds, if not thousands, of moisturizers, mascaras, lipsticks, liniments, ointments, and unguents. One day, some of the kids found various anti-acne products and brought them all to Rona one by one, acting as if they'd found her personal holy grail. I tried to shut down the cruel prank, but everybody else laughed long and loud, including Ronna, so maybe I was wrong as usual. Summer was obviously confused by my attitude, and indeed she congratulated the students on their wonderful wit. Summer and Ronna were both more than confused on another Suguo excursion. We were in the same section, or thereabouts, and one of the kids asked me what a certain product was. 
That certain product was a packet of feminine hygiene pads. These students were primary aged and it was a boy who asked, but the girls were equally baffled and the other teachers were suddenly engrossed in deep scrutiny of other things in other places. To gain a few seconds of thinking time, I opened the plastic wrapping and removed one. Possibly not the best idea. I then sort of lied to the children by saying that the pads were designed to absorb blood. If you cut yourself, say you accidentally stabbed yourself in the leg, when you took the knife out, there'd be a lot of blood. So you would remove your trousers or stockings and use this clever adhesive strip to attach to your clothing so the absorbent pad stayed in the right place and then get dressed again and go to hospital. That made sense to the kids and the eavesdropping teachers felt it was safe enough to rejoin the group. But I went on. And that's why you should always carry a sanitary pad in your first aid kit, plus tampons in case you have a nosebleed. There are specific moments in life, in my life anyway, the memory of which still causes involuntary moans of embarrassment and despair. But saying that line about the tampons, that wasn't such a moment. Nor was Ronna asking me, Tampons? Party, what is a tampon? Nor was it the other teachers gathering round eager to learn a new English word. It wasn't even my first stammering attempts to describe a tampon. There were none there, you see. The paper wrapping, the cardboard tube, the little string, the bullet-shaped, compressed, absorbent material. I said cotton wool at the time, but I don't know what they're made of. No, the awful aspect of the ensuing conversation, which still causes and will continue to cause groans, was when faced with their upturned, intense, uncomprehending faces, the charade I performed of how to insert a tampon. No! To say they reacted badly would be an understatement, akin to that of Captain Lawrence Oates, famously of the 1911-1912 Terra Nova expedition, Scott's attempt to reach the South Pole, when he said, I'm just stepping outside and maybe some time, before walking off into a blizzard and certain death in order to give his three comrades a better chance of survival. Now, if those three comrades had answered him by singing, But baby, it's cold outside. But baby, it's cold outside. I'm sure they would have groaned at that memory just as loudly as I groan when I recall myself legs akimbo, hands between my legs, miming the insertion of a non-existent tampon into my non-existent vagina. All in full, horrified view of four female teachers, a couple of dozen primary-aged students, 
and who knows how many shoppers and staff. That will have to be all for this episode. I need to wail loudly and weep quietly for a while. I promise there'll be nothing groan-worthy in the next episode of Party in China. Well, I can't really promise I haven't written it yet. Most of this stuff isn't in the book. But I can promise that I go to Shanghai for a quick getaway with lovely Ronna, and many fascinating and funny things occur. Honest, I am Party Parslow. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.